0: I trust you had a good week. We are in the book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to be there for at least two more weeks. So I was going to try to do something on Father's Day, but it doesn't work with what I be, where I want to be by um, July. So uh, next week we'll, uh, we'll get to chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. This morning we're going to get all the way through chapter 3. Uh, in chapter 1 we talked about the idea of Jonah is a prophet to Israel. God has told him he wants him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is 500 miles away. Nineveh is the, the enemies of Jewish people. They have slaughtered and massacred Jewish people. They have done horrible things to them. So Jonah's in a conundrum because if he goes and preaches and they repent, then his enemies continue to live and the Israelites are going to hate him. If he doesn't go, he's, on, he's not doing what God wants him to do, so that's a problem too. Uh, so he's really in a, in, in a kind of a rock and a hard place. He heads south from Jerusalem, he gets to a crossroads where if he turns right, he goes to Joppa. If he turns left, he goes to Nineveh. And uh, in chapter 1, Jonah turns right, he goes to a place called Joppa, and he gets on a boat. And literally, from Jerusalem to Nineveh is a 500-mile trip. Jonah heads 2,500 miles away. So he basically goes to the end of the known world at that time. I mean, he gets as far away from Nineveh. It's not like, you know, I'm running from God. You know, God wants me to go to Odo. I go to Smithland. Um, this is a God wants me to go to Odo and I go to Japan. I mean, that, that's the analogy. Okay, this is like how far away can you get? So that's kind of what the, the... And so you know the story. Up until now, he gets on the boat. Um, a lot of people want to debate this story and say, is it fiction? But Jesus Christ refers to it on two occasions. So if it's something that Christ referred to, you, you know you kind of have to take it as authentic and true. You can't just blow it off. And so chapter two, he gets on a boat. There's a storm comes up. Uh, all of the <coughs> pagan sailors are saying... Crying out to their gods, throwing stuff overboard, they finally cast lots. The lots fall on Jonah, and they look at Jonah and go, "Who are you and what are you doing?" And Jonah says, "I'm a Hebrew. Um, My God wanted me to do this, and I got on your boat instead." And uh, they were like, "Well, what do we got to do?" And he says, "The only thing you can do is throw me overboard." Well, they didn't want to do that because they were responsible for the cargo, and even though he's a human being and he's cargo and they hadn't judged him, and they didn't know what to do, so they kept trying to row harder and throw more stuff off. And finally, they cried out, and they said, okay, we're going to have to throw you overboard. They throw him overboard. They pray to their God to God, to not hold them accountable. The storm is calm. And these people are like, look, I don't know who he was, but whoever his God was controls water and storms. So you know what? We'll, we'll, uh, we'll make offerings to him. And so they do. Um, Jonah Val becomes fish bait. And um, bobbing in the water, storms, almost drowning, God prepares, we talked about this last week, God prepares a fish, comes along, swallows Jonah. Um, Jonah's three days in that fish, and he cries out to God and asks God to deliver him. And so chapter 2 ends with Jonah being literally thrown up on the shore, um, and he is now standing on the shore ready to go to Nineveh where he should have been in the first place, okay? And uh, so that's where we are going to pick up our story this morning. This is Jonah now as he starts to head into... um, Oh, wait a minute, what did I do? There we go, there we go. Here's what it says, Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, and I will proclaim to it the message I give you. So, let's just stop here. Jonah is now... Um, on the shore, um, he's had an incredible journey up to this point of running from God. Now he's going to do what God wants him to do. Don't miss the significance of this verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Here's what you need to remember. God never obligates himself to a second time for you or me. Don't assume on it. Don't presume it. This is an incredible verse of mercy and grace. God could have wiped Jonah out at this point. God could have said, I'm done with you. But God is an incredibly patient God, an incredibly understanding God, an incredibly uh, loving God, an incredibly gracious God. And so God gives Jonah a second chance to make it and, and do it right. And notice what it says. Go to that great city and proclaim it, to it the message I give you. Literally, he gives him the exact same command that he gave him in chapter 1 nothing's changed. It's not like Jonah gets to negotiate with God and say, okay, God, now look, can we water this thing down a little bit? Because if I go in there and tell him you're going to wipe him out, it could be bad for me. He basically says, Jonah, now, let me go through this one more time with you. And he tells him the exact same thing he told him before. Go and proclaim. And so Jonah is now going to head um, into Nineveh. And here's what it said. So Jonah obeys the word of the Lord. That's much different than chapter one. Instead of running, he now obeys God. And he went and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by, getting, by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. All right, let's talk about what, we're, what, what we know about this situation. From, no matter how you look at it on a map, this is about a 500-mile journey to get to Nineveh. Um, Joppa's probably about the closest point. So he's got about 500 miles to travel. If in that day you took a typical caravan of people, which is like you're traveling along and you got donkeys and horses and everything, which would have been the fastest way to go, it's at least a month's journey to get there, okay? Um, it's at least a month. If you're going solo, it's going to take longer than that. So Jonah gets and starts walking. And again, he's got like 30 days plus to think about this deal here. God may have, some people believe that God like took him right from there and plopped him in the middle of Nineveh. And that, If you want to believe that, fine. That's You know, you can still be a Christian and everything. It's not that big a deal. Uh, But he gets to Nineveh. That's what the text tells it. Let's talk about Nineveh for a second. Nineveh is a very large city. Depending on who you read and what archaeologists and all that kind of thing, um, estimates are the walls around the city were anywhere from three miles to eight miles. The entire area of Nineveh, if you count outlying areas, sometimes people go as far as 55 miles out. As far as the city. So, when it says it's an exceeding great city, we know that there are 120,000 children in the city. Okay? Um, Conservative estimates are the city of Nineveh has 600,000 people in it. Now, let me put that in perspective. The census for Omaha is 466,000 people. So, about one and a third times the size of Omaha. Okay? That's the size. Of a city we're talking about, that, that Neum, uh, Jonah, Mr. Jonah, Mr. Israel prophet, is going to walk into this pagan city and he's going to tell them this message 40 days, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. What's interesting is, as you go through this text, notice what it says. He began by going a day's journey into the city. Most likely what Jonah would have done is he would have gone into where the city council meets or the big leaders of the city or that kind of thing. He would have had a meeting with them because he's a prophet from foreign countries. And walk in, he'd say, hey, I got an important message for you guys. And they're going to kind of listen to him. Uh, And he's going to say, here's his message, okay? 40 more days and none of us shall be overthrown. Um, This is eight words in English. In Hebrew, it's five words. Okay, Now I'm going to tell you what I, I believe, and, and as we go through the next couple of weeks, you're going to start to piece this all together. I believe this was his whole message. Can you imagine me coming in this morning, saying five words, and saying, let's pray. I'm like, oh, that'd be an awesome service. It um, <laughs> ain't going to happen, but I know it's a nice idea. Uh, but here's what he says, five words, five words in Hebrew, he says it. <clears throat> Uh, Here's what I believe. I believe, and here's what's unique about this message. Do you see any hope in this? Do you see any chance of something different happening? See, I genuinely believe that Jonah did not want, and, and I know this, Jonah did not want these people saved. He did not want these people to repent. He did not want these people to turn to God. By the way, this is God's man now. This is God's prophet going in and saying, 40 more days, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. I'm done. Jonah, where's the hope? No hope. Be like me walking into you and saying, God's mad at you, you got six days. You're like, where's the love? Where's the grace? Where's the compassion? There's none of it. There's none of it. Where's the speak the truth in love? None of it. 40 days, you're done. That's it. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because we miss this stuff. You're living in a pagan city, doing your pagan thing, worshiping your pagan gods, being merciless to your enemies, doing horrible things to your enemies. Some clown comes from 500 miles away and says, his God's going to wipe you out in 40 days. And you say, what? Yeah, right. Sure. Sure. You know, whatever you're drinking, you need to stop. You know, I mean, really, you don't have any confidence in this thing. But here's what's amazing. Look at what happens, okay? The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, let's just stop and understand what sackcloth is. Sackcloth was a way of sowing repentance and sorrow. It was the idea of making yourself miserable. Often what it would involve is putting on something with goat's hair on it that was scratchy. So here's our modern day analogy. Let's say that tomorrow morning you decided to repent with sackcloth, and we're going to make it a modern day version. This is what you would have done. You would have gone in in the morning. You would have put on a wool sweater. You would have put on wool pants. You would have put on gloves that were scratchy and itchy. And you would have put on a wool hat and you would have gone outside to work. Now, how comfortable are you? Not very. That's the whole idea. The whole idea was I'm going to make myself as mi- humanly miserable as I can, short of death, to show God I'm serious. And then it says, and when Jordan's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Some versions say ashes. Okay? Here's the idea. The idea is that they would cover themselves then with dirt. Because Genesis says that we are from dirt and to dirt we return, So the idea was, I am sorrowing almost to the point of death. That's the idea of sackcloth and ashes, okay? So now I want you to think about this for a second. This is a hot, dry climate. And you are now covering your. You've already got on wool. Now we're going to go in and we're going to rub dirt all over us. Okay? This is a good day. Okay? Why? They're serious. They want to get God's attention. They want God to know, we are serious about you hearing our prayers. And that goes on. Notice what he says next. This is the proclamation he he issued in Nineveh. So now he stands up to all of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. So now, what you're going to do is you're going to go to your cattle tanks and you're going to dump them all over. You're going to pull all the feed away from your animals. You're going to go to your dog and you're going to take his food away. You're going to dump out his water dish. You're going to go to your cat you're going to take all their food away and you're going to dump their water dish. Every animal that you have has no food and no water now. You don't eat No coffee, no donuts, no lunch, no supper, no breakfast. When you are thirsty, you just rough it. This is how serious they are. This is how serious they are. And notice what happens. Let everyone call upon, urgently, upon God. Let them give up all their evil ways. And they're violent. Now, 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 as miserable as you are, you're now going to have to be nice to people. And you can't do the violence anymore, so you're going to change. You're going to get rid of all the stuff that you've been doing that's wrong. These people are serious about getting God's attention. And notice this. This is what I think is fascinating. Who knows? God may relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You know who comes up with the idea that God may change his mind and not destroy us? The pagan king. He didn't hear this from Jonah. What he heard from Jonah is, you got 40 days. And you're going to see next week. You're going to see next week. Jonah's serious about this. I like what one writer said, and I cannot say this any better um, than what this guy said. I got, I got to find it. I got to find it. A graceless message delivered by one living in the shadow and experience of grace. A guy who just tasted the grace of God and was saved from a fish is now showing no grace, no love, no mercy, no hope. He wants them wiped out. And what's amazing to me is, you know what this happens? Day one. For a three-day journey in this city, he's on day one, and the whole city has turned around and started getting serious about God. This Let me tell you something. If you're doing this kind of stuff, you're serious. Okay. And and again, don't lose the impact of this. Your dog, looking at you, going, <laughs> tough. We're trying to get God's attention. Rough it out. That cat, meow, 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 meow. Looking at your your prized livestock out there, about ready, being dehydrated, about ready to lose them. I don't miss the importance of this. Your little children, 120,000 of them in I'm hungry, mom. Can I can I have a cracker? No, we're getting serious about God. Get over it. <laughs> can I get an apple juice? No. That serious these people They were incredibly serious. I mean, you know, we. I mean, you know, I mean. You know, I mean, some of you have to bring snacks to get through the service. I mean, can you imagine, you know, no kids or that kind of thing? Um, here's a question. No names, Aaron. I'm not mentioning a name. Um, but, you, you know, you can relate to the pregnancy thing, so you get a bypass on that. Uh, you know, I think we've got like four people due in here in the next year. I mean, it's, um, so, you know, uh, we're going to change the coffee or something. But, um... here's a question. Okay, here's a question for you. When there's no grace, no hope, no love, no anything else, five words, why this kind of response? Now, I think God did something in heart, but the bottom line is, then we don't even need Jonah. So, there's Bible and then there's what I think, okay? Up until now, I'm talking Bible. Now, I want to talk about what I think, okay? Here's what I think. I think there was a visual thing that was going on here too. See, I think that Jonah being in that fish for three days, his skin had become all pruny. These people are naturally dark-complected, Between the stomach acid of the fish, I think he had been bleached white. I think the stomach acid had pitted his skin for three days. So honestly, I think this guy looks somewhat like a ghost and some foreign creature. I don't think he even looks human. And when you tie that to the idea of fish, and, the, and literally the, the etymology of the word Nineveh goes back to have a fish related to it. And you talk about the, the, the pagan culture of the time in that a fish was a deliverer. It was a deliverer from the underworld. And you tie some of that stuff into it. And this guy who travels this distance, walks into the city And once a meeting with the people, and they're going, I've never seen anybody like that. We need to listen to him. And when he walks in, and he stands before those city leaders, and they say, "Uh, before you get started here, what's your deal? I don't worry about it. No, no, what's your deal? I mean, what happened to you? You know what? My God wanted me to come tell you this. I didn't want, I got on a boat, they threw me overboard, I lived in a fish for three days, he puked me out on the shore, I finally told my God, you know what, I'm tired of fighting you, I'm coming to deliver this message. Forty days, God's going to wipe you out. I'm done. And I think, in the mind of these pagan people, they went, don't know him, don't know his God, but if this is what God does to his own people, who don't obey him, we don't stand a chance. I think there's something physical going on here, too. Again, that's all speculation. But to me, it's, 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 it's mind-numbing almost that an entire city would have this kind of response from a five-word message. And again, and there, he could have said more, I don't know. But I, I just don't, again, I don't think he said more because I don't think Jonah, Jonah was like, okay, God, you tell me what to say, and I'm not saying a word more because I want these people gone. And it makes a difference. And these people get really, really serious because they genuinely believe God is going to judge them. And they're scared. So they will do literally anything to get the attention of God. And if that means not feeding their children, themselves, wearing sackcloth, ashes, making themselves miserable, and by the way, I, I, again, don't lose the, the impetus of this. When we talk about in, an, in a Middle Eastern world, where it's hot and dry, and you sweat like a dog, wearing goat's hair with dirt on your skin and not eating or drinking. That has, that, 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 that says you're serious. Notice what it says. When God saw what they did, and how, and I think this is, and how they turned from where you See, this wasn't a, okay, God, we're sorry, please forgive us so we can go on. This was a, God, we're sorry. We don't know who you are. We're scared. Don't wipe us out. We'll get rid of all of our junk and our evil ways. We're going to do it differently. He relented. By the way, he relented is the same word that is used for they turned from their evil ways. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Those of you who are students of the Bible... This is the greatest revival in all of the Old and New Testament. Preached by a guy who didn't want to see any results. Consequently, one of the most faithful prophets in all of the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Jeremiah, who preaches his entire life and sees not one convert. That speaks something to the fact of God honors faithfulness. And faithfulness and loyalty is what God honors because we tend to be results oriented. We tend to look at it and go, oh, you know what? Because that was the biggest thing, that's the most important thing and Jonah's the most important prophet. And it's just, it couldn't be farther from the truth. It couldn't be farther from the truth. So let's pull a couple of lessons out, some things that help us as we go through um the week okay first of all sometimes god gives you a second chance don't ever assume that you'll get another chance um you want to fight god and you want to struggle with god and you want to say no to god okay but you may or may not get a second chance you want a great lesson look at the children of israel over and over again what happened they gripe and complained god gave them a second chance God gave him a third chance. God gave him a fourth chance. God gave him a fifth chance. God gave him a sixth chance. Finally, God said, nope, no more. You don't want it? You're all going to die in the wilderness over the next 40 years? I'll start over and I'll give to your children what I was going to give to you. God has lines. So when God gives you that second chance or third chance or 50th chance or 100th chance, Never presume that you'll get another one. It is the grace of God that lets Jonah have a second chance. For those of you, like me, that have had those second, third, and fourth chances, you learn from them, and you do things differently. And when you have been given, for some of you, you've been in a situation where you know you didn't deserve a second chance, but God lets you have it another go at it. God lets you do it again. It's important for you to understand that that is the grace of God. That is God's grace to you. That is God's love, God's mercy, God's patience, God's understanding to say, you know what? I know you really dropped the ball here. But you know what? I'm going to give you another shot at it. Don't take that for granted. Don't, Don't abuse that. Don't assume on that. Don't presume upon that. Understand that's God's love and mercy and grace to you. And for those of you who are in that situation and you understand the value of that, we make the most of that second chance. And Jonah here, he does what God wants. We'll Talk about that in a second. But his heart's not in it. Second idea that I think you see here is God doesn't change. You know what Jonah was supposed to do the second time? The same thing God wanted him to do the first time. See, God didn't come to him the same time and say, okay, Jonah, I know that was a little hard, so I'll tell you what. This time you go to Nineveh and you just soften it down. Let's make it easier for you, Jonah. No, God doesn't change. Now listen to me, because this is so important. Kids, those of you who are teenagers, college, young people, please listen to me. You're in a culture which is trying to change church and the Bible and Christianity. And they're coming to the church and saying, um, "If you—I just read a deal on this this morning. If you love us, you'll do it this way." Um, and, and I'm wrestling with this, but it was a great—it was a great thing. Just because you don't feel loved does not mean I don't love. You need to think about that. Just because you don't feel loved does not mean I don't love. See, we're in a culture which says you should love me on my terms. And if I feel loved, then you love me. Really? Growing up, did you always feel loved? Oh, my parents loved me. That's why they grounded me for six years. No. No, my kids... You know what? I always wanted my kids to know when we discipline, that's one of the things that I do is I discipline and say, okay, do you understand why I'm doing this? First of all, I didn't care whether they understood or not. I just wanted to see if I actually made a little progress. Um, And I tried to help them understand it. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. I said, secondly, I said, do you know that I love you? And it didn't matter to me what they said. I, I wanted them to be able to say, yeah, I know. But it didn't matter if they said, no, you don't. Then I'd say, well, You're wrong. I do. Okay? It may not feel like love to you, but one of the reasons I'm actually doing this is because I do love you. And we're in a culture which says, if the church loved us, the church would change this stuff for us. No. No. God's word is the same. God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. If it was wrong before, it's wrong now. Hear it. Does that mean I can't love? No, I, I can love you, and I can still say this is what God says. You know? You say, well, if, if, if you really loved me, you would agree with me. No, I love my wife. But that does not mean we agree on everything. In fact, she's wrong a lot. <laughs> but I love her. Okay? I love her. Okay? And, and we've got to get across this. We've got to understand that God's God's message here, God's, God's thing did not change for Jonah. God didn't readapt it for him. Jonah didn't get to negotiate terms with God. This is what God said. This is the way it is. And that's important for us to understand. And it's important, kids, to understand that, look, just because you don't feel loved does not mean you aren't loved. And as you grow... And as you mature, and one day, Lord willing, if you become parents, you will understand that even more. Because some of the hardest things to do are to, to discipline or to say no to your kids or to enforce things with your kids. Last thing is this. And th- this is the one that some of you are really going to struggle with. Because so, I'm going to kind of take your little world that you have known and you've been taught a lot of your Christian life, and I'm going to rattle it for a minute. We are taught that to obey, obedience, is to do the right thing with the right heart attitude. That's what we're taught. How many of you nod your head? I mean, you've heard that, right? You know that. Okay. I'm going to challenge that today. Obedience is doing the right thing, period. The right heart attitude is about you obedience is about doing the right thing. Now, the ultimate goal is to raise a group of children and to raise a group of adults who do the right thing with the right attitude. That's the ultimate goal. But the right attitude is about you, not about obedience. Let me give you an example. When when I told my kids when they were growing up, I want you to go clean your room. I can't believe I didn't have to clean my room. You know how many... Or can't believe you're going to do this and make me (laughs) all right question as a parent what do I want done I want the room clean period you want to whine about it whine about it I just don't want to listen to it I'll close the door and you can whine all you want while you clean your room clean your room what do I want as a parent obedient Isn't that what I want as a parent? I want obedience. What I would love is obedience. I would love the child to look at me and go, oh, goody, I get to clean my room and make you happy. That is the best thing in the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. At that point, I take my child to a doctor. (laughs) Something is majorly wrong at that point. I mean, that's ultimately, though, that's my big thing is you're doing the right thing with the right attitude and it'll go so much easier for you. Here's what's interesting. God honors Jonah's obedience, even though his heart wasn't in it. You get that? God honors his obedience. And you're going to see this in the next two weeks. In fact, you're going to see at a level, you're going to go, how in the world could God's servant even think like he thinks? You're going to see it in the next two weeks, but God wanted Jonah to obey and God honored his obedience. And because he was obedient, one of the greatest revivals in all the Old Testament takes place. Even though his heart wasn't in it. Now listen, that is a revolutionary principle if you will start to think it through. Because you have been taught and I have been taught that we need to have a heart in it. So here's what I hear people say. You need to forgive so and so. I can't forgive so-and-so, you know what they did to me, and da da and I've got to wait until my heart's right so that I can forgive them without being, here's what you say, a hypocrite, because God doesn't like hypocrites, and if I forgive them and my heart's not in it, guess what? I'm going to be a hypocrite. So we forget, okay, you won't be a hypocrite, but you'll be disobedient to God, who says, forgive them as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's a command. Not even an option. Well, I, I just, my heart has to be in it for it to be real. No, it doesn't. Just be obedient. Go forgive them. Oh, but, but you know how hard that will be? Be obedient. Be obedient. Be kind, tender hearted. I can't be nice to them because you know what they did to me. They did this. They did this. did This. This. this, this. And if I try to be nice to them, will just be all fake and phony. Be kind. Be obedient. Well, you, you just don't. Time out. You're you're fooling yourself. You'll be obedient. You know. And whatever it is, you know. Oh, I know I need to be baptized, but I have all these excuses on. Oh. You know, blah, blah, blah. Be obedient. When I'll preach the gospel, baptize them in the the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Be obedient. Oh, you know what? It's just so hard to be nice to that person. They are the meanest person on the planet. Be nice. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. You know how hard it is to tell them what I really need to tell them because, you know what, if I tell them this, it's just going to be, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Be obedient. Can I tell you what I found, particularly on the forgiveness thing? I found that when you're obedient, what happens is, God takes your obedience and works that in your heart, and before you know it, Because you have done the right thing, God starts to work in your heart, and before you know it, your heart lines up with your actions. That's what I found. Because you see, when you and I are obedient, then God uses that. God does not save all these people because of Jonah's heart. He saves these people because of Jonah's obedience. The irony is, When Jonah dies and stands before God when Jonah died and stood before God because he didn't do it with the right heart attitude he loses his blessing and reward. The people still got saved. Jeremiah on the other hand because of his heart attitude gets honored and rewarded. I want to challenge you with this idea because sometimes I think we convince ourselves that our disobedience is okay because, of our, because we want to do it with sincerity. And God doesn't want us to be disobedient. Okay? And, and I really want to challenge with this because we're in a world where we excuse a lot of stuff. And unfortunately, we excuse it with this idea of I, I, it's got to come from, it's got to come, from, I have to do it without being a hypocrite. And some of the hardest situations I've ever had is when I just had to swallow hard, very hard, and say, all right, Lord, you've told me to forgive, so I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to act in a forgiving way towards this person. And what I have found is as I continue to do that, God starts to soften my heart, and what I have found, my heart starts to line up with my actions. And I just want to challenge you, because a lot of us have been taught this idea of... uh, You got to feel it in order to go do it. Well, you know what? This passage teaches be obedient and God will honor it. And and, and I want to challenge you because I think it's easy sometimes for us to. and, And here's the other thing. This passage also teaches God judges. Um, you, you're gonna, you, you see that when you study the whole story of Nineveh All the way through They repent but you know what They go back to their old ways And God does have to wipe them out You see this in Jonah Jonah becomes disobedient And God has to deal with him You know this idea of I can't believe a loving God um, Would judge or, or, or deal with it No a, Because he is a loving God He is also a holy and just God And he does judge And he does judge That's why when Jesus is here, he pleads with people. I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. Put your faith and trust in me. Please, 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 please. Because on the other side of this world is judgment. And on the other side of this world is a, those who have a relationship with me are with me, and those who didn't aren't. And and, and by, you you know, well, you're talking about that whole hell thing. Well, here's the reality of it. Read the teachings of Jesus. He speaks more of hell than he does of heaven. He speaks more of separation than he does of being with him because he understands the importance of understanding he is the only way to God. In this story, these people get serious. They get dead level serious about turning to God. And as pagan and as horrible as they are, God says, I will spare you. Just as I gave Jonah a second chance, I'm going to give you a second chance. Because that's the kind of God he is. And you're going to see next week and then a week after. And Jonah gets mad. And Jonah gets mad. Greatest revival in the Old Testament. God's man should be thrilled. And he's madder than a hornet. And God has to do some pretty incredible things to even try to get his attention. And I don't think God ever gets his attention either. And I think, I think when we get to the end of this, honestly, I think it's one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible. But you know what? God gives it that to us to learn. So I end this morning with this. God is a God of grace. He often gives second chances, but they are never Guaranteed. They are a gift from a patient and loving God and they should never be assumed. God wants us to obey completely and will forgive those who genuinely and sincerely repent just like he did with the Ninevites. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the story. Lord, it's easy sometimes to get so caught up in excusing things. Lord, we forget just simply some of the basic things that you want a group of people who are obedient to you. So, Lord, in whatever that area is that we're struggling, will you help us to do what we need to do? Uh, May you use your word in our lives. May you guide and direct us. May you help us, Lord, to honor you. And, Lord, for those who are sitting here this morning, Lord, who you are offering a second chance or maybe a a 30 or 40th chance. Lord, would you help them to respond? And Lord, for those of us who have been recipients of your love and your grace and your continued commitment to to help us do right, Lord, may we honor you with all we do this week. These things we ask in your name, amen.